0: Because what you don't know about energy can kill you. Here's Alex Epstein.
1: Welcome to Power Hour. I'm Alex Epstein. Last week, a guy named Sean Steffi emerged in the national political debate. Uh, Steffi is an executive board member of Boilermakers 154, uh, which is a union, and he's executive board member of the uh, one of the Pennsylvania uh, divisions. And he was on Fox News, and the video has gotten millions of views. And part of the reason it got attention is because... He was criticizing Joe Biden for mistakenly saying that he had, that Biden had the endorsement of the Boilermakers, which wasn't true. The General Association hasn't endorsed anyone and Boilermakers 154 in Pennsylvania had specifically endorsed uh, Trump. Uh, But the other thing I think got the video attention is that Steffi made an unusually impassioned uh, defense of and even championing of fossil fuels on the show. And a number of you immediately messaged me and said, Hey, you got to see this guy. I saw it. I was impressed because you rarely see anyone, uh, championing fossil fuels in this way. And so I decided I was interested in getting to know Steffi, how he got interested in fossil fuels and, uh, also, what his thoughts are, not just on the election, but on the energy landscape more broadly, because he's in Pennsylvania, which is a, a huge state in terms of our energy future. It has a rich history in terms of coal. Uh, it's a booming place in terms of gas. There's a lot of manufacturing, and it's, it's very much up for grabs in the election, so there are a lot of, there's a lot of controversy around it. So I decided uh, to reach out to Steffi to see if he would come on the show, and happily he did. He's going through what he calls his 15 minutes of fame, which he doesn't seem to uh, enjoy all that much. He says he's happy to get back to his normal life, but while he's in his 15 minutes, he was happy to join us, which I'm grateful for. So hope you enjoy the interview with Sean Steffi and I will be back on the other side. I'm joined now by Sean Steffi. Sean, welcome to Power Hour.
0: Thanks for having me on today, Alex.
1: All right. So I first learned about you like many people last week. I see there was this video with you and I think Martha McCollum, it's at 2 million videos now. You were championing fossil fuels. Tell me what has happened since that video. Have you gotten a lot of attention?
0: Yes, I have Alex and maybe a little more than I want. I'm just uh, the normal average guy that works in the fossil fuel industry and has become a business agent. And you know, the makers level like 154 and it all started on. We supported Donald Trump for president because we felt Donald Trump was our best uh, option as far as the fossil fuel industry went and, you know, maintaining our energy independence and pushing to uh, move fossil fuel, uh, the fossil fuel industry ahead.
1: Got it. And so just a lot of my listeners probably aren't even familiar with the Boilermakers. So can we just start out by asking, who are the Boilermakers? What do you do?
0: Okay, the bullet makers, we, like I said, we're fossil fuel driven because we build and maintain gas and coal fired uh, generating plants. Um, we also build and maintain chemical and petrochemical plants, refineries, paper mills, steel mills. Um, we also do have some part in the nuclear part of it. But so as you can see that my trade is really driven hard by fossil fuels.
1: Got it. And I think one thing people don't appreciate about energy is people often just think of the electricity in their homes or the fuel in their car, but they don't think a lot about the industrial process heat. And it seems like you guys are involved a lot in that in terms of the heat that's involved in the boilers that are involved in so much manufacturing.
0: That's correct. And you know like a lot of people they say to me like what do you even care about fracking you know you're working at power plants but they don't understand like fracking leads to pipelines pipelines lead to gas-fired power plants petrochemical plants but you said we're the downstream part of it and you know they're great family sustaining blue collar jobs you know in in the industry in the fossil fuel industry and you know we think that people like you said they don't understand when they turn that light switch on what it takes for that to happen. And, you know, the men and women at work in these, you know, highly skilled jobs that make it happen for them. And, you know, I thought that was one thing that I just wanted to get, you know, out there that there's more to it than just, uh, you know, what they're thinking that, you know, they take for granted at what it takes to have this happen for them to have electricity.
1: Yeah. One way I think is I found helpful to think about it and explain it is just to think about energy as a process because people just think of energy as, oh, it's just the sun or it's just automatic. I turn on the light switch, but there's a whole process that it takes to actually make the energy usable for you and affordable for you and reliable for you. And there are a lot of people, as you're indicating, involved in that process. And can you just tell, tell us about like the range of things your the workers you work with are doing? Because I think nobody is even thinking about what's happening behind the scenes.
0: Yes. I mean, let's just take a coal-fired power plant, for instance. You know, you have the men and women that are operating this plant, you know, after it is built. But then you have uh, us as a Boilermaker Trade and many other trades that all play a role in that. For us, we we uh we're high pressure tube welders the tubes the water wall tubes that eventually turn into heat that push the turbine we're involved in the duct work with the you know dirty gas um the stack um you know now we have ser's and and scrubbers and we build all those things so everything that that engineer you know puts on paper and, and we, we're the people that can build it. We're, we're the, the worker, working ants that take care of it. And We're highly skilled tradesmen that all have our niche from the electricians to a pipe fitter to even your cement masons and stuff like every one of us are involved in that down to a laborer, um, the teamsters, the operators, because as you know, these are, you know, engineering marvels that are huge industrial construction that takes, you know, large cranes to move things. And so we play a large role in this and that goes even into our petrochemical plants and, you know, steel mills. And so when I was on the show the other night, I just wanted them to understand that, you know, these are great jobs and you better, as, as the average Joe out on the street should realize that there's more to it than just flicking that light switch on what it takes. And, you know, that kind of lead can lead into the next thing is, you know, people need to actually take a look in their whole daily life at what fossil fuels has done for them and what affords them luxuries. And then we'll see how much they want to ban a fossil fuel.
1: Well, so speaking of banning fossil fuels, of course, you know, the opponents of fossil fuels say, oh, well, we can just replace them all with green energy when did you when did you become suspicious of this claim
0: well i can exactly tell you so when the new renewable movement came this green new deal movement and i was ignorant to what actually solar and wind was i thought my god this new uh uh, energy source i'm out of i'm out of job okay well then i started looking into it and doing my own research on my own i'm thinking first off like a windmill, it can't even exist without fossil fuels, okay? It's got 900 tons of steel in one windmill, um, carbon resins, petrochemical plants, and then the solar is basically a lot of rare earth minerals plus a lot of toxic waste or you know toxic uh, chemicals that are used. And then I'm thinking, well, unless somebody figured out some kind of new uh, metallurgical uh, recipe, they're not making steel without coal. Um, And then I started looking at the actual intermittency and the unreliable part of the renewables. And then I started looking at like the land footprint that'll be taken, how many acres we need for this to even exist and the trees that would needed to be cut down and land cleared. And I said to myself, I think there's a legitimate argument for me to you know, make for us to keep our industry and you know, like generating electricity, and keeping fossil fuels. It's not some. I guess if I could put it to an average, there's not leprechauns at the end of the rainbow with rainbow powered, uh, you know, steel mills making these things. It's got to be people. Energy intense industries are needed for this to even exist.
1: And when you were doing that research, what what sources did you find helpful?
0: Well, I can tell you one person that came up a lot during, you know, when I was looking, it was Michael Schellenberger, which I know you know him. Um, And then like a real revelation for me is when I watched The Planet of the Humans by Michael Moore, somebody that's a total leftist and a self-proclaimed tree hugger when he really called out the truth uh of where the industry is in the green new deal uh with solar and wind and i'm thinking to myself if he's willing to come out and say these things that i've been reading i'm thinking that it holds water and the more i look into it in my opinion i just think it's a bunch of billionaire green investors trying to get extra money uh billions invested in solar and wind and it's not, in my opinion, it's not the avenue that needs to be taken in a economic uh, powerhouse like the United States. And, you know, for us to move forward, we need to embrace fossil fuels and do it in a responsible manner. And we have the people that can do it with technology. And I want to be a part in building that new technology.
1: Got it. So uh, how do you respond to people who say, oh, well, you guys are just concerned about your own jobs, and you're just destroying the you know you're going to destroy the planet. How can you live with yourself?
0: Yes, I I can tell you how I respond. I've been to the Senate uh, floor. I've been to Harrisburg, and I've had representatives yelling at me like, "What are you going to do when the oceans rise and and the world's coming to an end?" Like almost like they're you know quoting Revelations to me out of the uh, you know Bible, and then. I look and ask them like, okay, what are you doing? Tell me about your electric car and tell me about your house. That's completely off the grid that you've got solar panels and your battery storage. And tell me about your clothing and tell me where you're going to get your food. And every one of them I find are hypocrites because there's none of them that are truly following a green lifestyle. And if they really, truly, followed a true green lifestyle, they wouldn't be living the luxuries that they're living right now. And uh so I find that kind of amusing because they have the you know capabilities of going green right now, but none of them are choosing to go green. They want me to do that and they want to demonize me as building this, but yet they want to keep using the same uh luxuries that they're using on a daily basis
1: interesting so why do you think they're doing that why do they want to demonize you instead of taking responsibility because obviously i mean you're making the point we're all choosing to use fossil fuels we could all go take a boat to some third world country and live as naturally as possible so why do you think they want to attack you but still use fossil fuels
0: i think it in my opinion i think it's a real political point right now to go one against the other um I think it has to do a lot with uh, investments. And I mean, if you start following the dots and you see the people that are involved in like the green energy, um, it's basically big time billionaires. And I think that it's just something for them to push forward on, you know, a fear, uh, putting fear into everybody that the world's coming to an end. I'm not denying there might be climate change, you know, I mean, my point is, is our climate's been changing for thousands of years. Um, and my other question that nobody really answers. So what is the perfect climate? Tell me a time when history is recorded, the absolute perfect climate. What are we shooting for? What's it got to be? 72 degrees with 60% humidity. And, you know, I, I don't know. Nobody has an answer for that. So I mean, I think that we do need to be responsible with the use of our fossil fuels. I mean, I grew up all my life in a town that was a coal town. And I've seen that, you know, cricks that ran orange and, you know, woke up with, you know, fly ash on our vehicles in our house. Them days are gone. They've, they've begun to clean that up. We've got streams now that have aquatic life. And the other thing that I really would like people to understand and them to think about think about the massive amount of land that would needed to be taken to make us a complete solar and wind dependent on so you know we're talking about hundreds of thousands of acres of trees in in Pennsylvania that would need to be clear cut so now we got a problem with erosion and sediment into our streams and I'm an avid outdoorsman I spend every spare minute of my time in the outdoors and what is an aquatic killer in a stream? It's sediment. That chokes it out quicker than anything. And so all these trees are cut. All of our farm fields will be filled with solar panels. So where's our wildlife going to go? They depend on nature to provide them with hardwoods and acorns and hickory nuts and wall, black walnuts. So now we're cutting it all down. So these environmentalists like the Sierra Club that, you know, promote wild things in wild places, so how are you promoting that by cutting everything down? And and that's, you know, they don't really give you an answer on that either. Nobody wants to really answer you.
1: I like your point about what's the perfect climate. What are we shooting for? Because one point I like to emphasize is that the climate is naturally very dangerous. And we only experience it as safe if we have a lot of machines to make the climate safe, you know, we build sturdy homes and we cool and heat those homes, and we have irrigation to avoid to cope with drought, and we have drought relief, you know, so that when people have a drought, we can give them food. It's like the climate we only experience the climate as a pretty nice place because of all these fossil-fueled uh, machines, and so there's this there's just a a complete ignorance of that. I think in general we're just in a society where people don't value industry and they worship untouched nature. And part of the point I like to make is no, untouched nature is really miserable. Like industry is what makes nature a livable place.
0: I totally agree with you. And you know, another thing that always strikes me funny is, so if you, if you start investigating on your own and like, look for us, the power industry, electricity generation. So if you look at like the PJM grid, and then you see, take it, for instance, like the week this year, the July 4th week, I think it was. So it was really hot, humid, and stagnant. Not enough wind out there to blow out a birthday candle. And at 4 o'clock, the sun's going down. And you look at the grid, and, our, and 65 million customers are receiving like 1,000 megawatts of power. Probably enough to do like you know 1 million homes. So everybody's enjoying their air conditioning and electricity from gas, coal, and nuclear. Okay, not one time all these people to say like, okay, I'm, I, you know, on my energy provider, I checked the box for total renewables. Well, that's just not possible. They were using fossil fuel generated electricity. And I bet not one of them were calling into their provider and saying, hey, I checked the box for renewables. (laughs) And you need to shut my power off so let's just take like the 2019 polar vortex in the northeast i'm from pennsylvania and through new england and new york new york we were crushed by you know frigid temperatures i think coal made up like 40,000 000 uh, megawatts and natural gas and nuclear and you know solar and wind were pretty much not there Nobody was calling saying, "Hey, shut my heat off. I'm not getting renewables." You know, that's
1: a great idea. Though they should offer, they need to offer that plan instead of these scam, you know, renewable credits. Yes, they're just stealing credit for other people's small renewable usage and giving them the blame for your fossil fuels. It should actually be, "I want my power cut off when there's yes. inadequate sun, and inadequate wind." I think that any of the power companies, yeah, anyone listening, offer that plan. That yeah, I think about education. one
0: day of doing that Alex and they would have a complete new uh, song and dance on uh, fossil fuels uh, heating and providing electricity.
1: <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. I love I love that idea. Um so just as we wrap up I'm I want to talk a little bit about oil and gas and a little bit about coal. You know, you're in Pennsylvania and and as I understand it in oil and gas and particularly gas in Pennsylvania I think there's just yes. been this revolution. What has that been like for your members over the past decade or so?
0: It's been fantastic. We've been building, I can tell you, Fairview, Hilltop, Hickory Run, Wellsville, the, the cracker plant and, you know, the petrochemical plant in Manaka Beaver County. It's been putting our members to work. But, you know, and, and this is part of the reason we stepped outside the box and, and made the stance we did with Donald Trump was, you know, we got a governor, Governor Wolf, that wants to join the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative and basically do away with our uh, fossil fuel industry. Now we got, you know, uh, former Vice President Joe Biden that's came out and flip-flopped so many times that we still don't really know where his stance is on fossil fuels. And and nobody has an answer moving forward. Nobody's questioning, well, how are you going to, uh, you know, do this with renewables? And he just says, we're going to do away with oil, it's pollutant. We want to do away with natural gas, it's a polluter. Okay, well, what's your answer moving forward? Because I'm not against renewables by no means. I think there's a place for them, but we need to accept the full portfolio of uh, energy from nuclear to renewables to coal and gas. And that would move us forward. Not one. Not one of them is going to make it happen. But the natural gas and coal has been our bread and butter. And I think that, you know, moving forward with it and if people could just really just just take a common sense approach and study it just a little bit, instead of Googling what the Kardashians did yesterday, how about Googling what makes your life go around and your cars and your and your houses and and your total lifestyle from your clothes to the processed food that you're getting because them are all energy intensive industries and it takes a good electricity source. And, you know, everybody thinks like, you know, China's, you know, China's building 500 new coal plants right now, as we speak, they're not building that because they need electricity needs for their households. They're building that because they're a manufacturing powerhouse and they need that. Every one of these breaks and presses and strip and uh, lasers and automated production stuff, that takes a lot of electricity. And that's why they're building it to maintain the stronghold they have on us in the manufacturing. And we need to bring that back to the United States.
1: What has, uh, you know, obviously there's been a lot of decline in coal, I think a lot because of regulation. What's What's that been like for your workers who work in the coal industry?
0: It's been terrible because right now we have, like, you know, just in my area alone, we have three of maybe the largest uh, coal-fired power plants, maybe in the country, Homer City, Connemon, Keystone, um, and they're sitting there with, they're not sure where their future is, and they don't want to make an investment with any kind of money moving forward. Now, if you look to Ohio and West Virginia, it's also holding coal-fired power plants. They're still, they're, they're doing a lot of work and maintenance on those facilities because, for me, the, the regional greenhouse gas initiative that Pennsylvania is trying to join is crushing them. It's moving the goalpost out of Pennsylvania into those states over there and making an uneven playing field. Um, I think that there's technology like carbon capture and sequestration moving forward that we can start implementing. And, you know, the infrastructures here... The resources are here with coal right under our feet, and also we have the natural gas resources right under our feet. I say, you know what better to bring great jobs in than a good electricity generation with our fossil fuels, cheap, reliable, and that would bring manufacturing also. Because if anybody knows it, that that is one thing that's like you got to have reliable electricity source, and we could be booming in the state of Pennsylvania. But we're trying to push it out. And I totally don't understand
1: that. Yeah, talking about reliable electricity. I mean, I'm in California and we do not have reliable electricity right now. And I just think about like what manufacturer would want to go to California?
0: Exactly. Right. You know, and I mean, California, I mean, you're the poster child right now of blackouts and everything else. And is that really the fault of, uh, you know, I, I'm taking it's a lot to blame in infrastructure for, of our energy infrastructure there. We should be, you know, building our energy infrastructure so we don't have problems with, uh you know, power lines and stuff like that. We should be looking to running, running them underground. And I mean, this is, I'm just an average guy, Alex, and I can figure it out. There's a lot more smarter people out there than me. And I definitely can figure out what we need to do to move forward. And I don't understand where the rest of them are. And, you know, if you look at like AOC, Bernie Sanders and all them I'm about tell why don't they come out and tell us how great renewables are on and it's and, and put them off the grid and they are completely, you know, using solar panel because they won't tell you that. And Microsoft and Tesla, they're all tied into the grid because they need a reliable electricity source. And, you know, I would... Beg them to come out and tell me I'm lying because I don't believe that they're off the grid. I believe every one of them are using fossil fuels every day as we speak for their electricity and the luxuries that they live in right now.
1: Yeah, that's definitely true. I've researched basically every case and it's always the same. They're always using the grid. They're always using mostly fossil fuels and nuclear and hydro. And then they're basically paying the utilities to give others the blame for their fossil fuels and nuclear and hydro and then take the credit for everyone else, yeah. solar and wind. Uh, you mentioned this idea of you said like you're an average guy, you're not the smartest guy in the world, like but you can figure this out. I think it's really interesting how this green really religion makes smart people stupid. You think about like California. You know Thomas Edison knew how to provide reliable electricity a hundred years ago, and yet we can't even do it in California now without our with all our modern technology it's it's not because we don't have enough smart people it's because people are made so dumb by this insistence that we have green or renewable energy even though almost all of that is unreliable instead of just looking at the reality and saying hey what what is available right now to give us the reliable electricity we need what do you what do you think about that
0: Here's what I think about that, Alex. And I get a lot of like Sierra club members and Penn future here in Pennsylvania and other places. And I've met them. They all come and they all got this big line for you and telling you like basically demonizing you. And then when you look, they drive off in a gas powered car. They got an iPhone. They got a computer. Their clothes is because of fossil fuels. I think they're hypocritical. I think they've like drank the Kool-Aid that we can move forward with renewables itself. And if you just look at a couple common sense things like here in Pennsylvania and the Northeast, we have winter, winter's here all the time. So when winter comes in, we got snow, we got freezing rain. So if you had hundreds of millions of solar panels that you were relying on, how many times do I get up in Pennsylvania and I got to heat my car up for 10 minutes before I can even start chiseling the ice off my windshield to go? So how are we going to chisel snow and ice off these solar panels? And how many people want to get up at four in the morning and go on their roof and chisel their solar panels out of ice and snow so they can get working? I think a lot of these people would start just taking a common sense approach and think about it. They'd say, yeah, I think we need more than solar and wind. And if I could just add this, I think that like our coal fleet and gas is like that reliable four wheel drive truck that you have in your garage. Okay. So if you trade it in and get this fancy sports car, like a solar and wind, Okay, it's sunny and the wind's blowing 20 mi- or 15 miles an hour, and I can put the top down, and I'm gonna make it to work today, and it's gonna be great. But the first day that it snows and it's or it's rainy and cloudy, and that car don't, don't make it two feet out of your garage, you need that reliable truck. And when it's really bad, and there's a foot of snow, and you need to make it to work in that destination, you can put it in four wheel drive, and you can still get the work but you're not getting there with that fancy sports car. So my point is, yes, let's keep moving forward and use everything that we have at our disposal to keep us the number one economy in the world and keep great blue collar jobs. And I think that people need to realize that. And I think it should be a bipartisan thought This shouldn't even be something that we should be thinking about both sides should understand this, and we should it shouldn't even be a political talking point. It's something that we need we're not going to go 10 steps backwards. We got to keep moving forward.
1: awesome Sean Uh, is there anywhere on the Internet where people can uh, learn more about you and your work.
0: I mean, we have a website at Local 154 Boilermakers. It's our local, you know, website. And, you know, we post on there the jobs that we're working on. And, you know, we just want to keep moving forward. Uh, You know, for me to get on, everything's new. This 15 minutes of fame, I'm ready for it to end. (laughs) I could go right back to uh, manning work and putting guys out to work and, you know, being there for my members and being their voice. And if this is what I got to do, then this is what I got to do. But, you know, we need more people like you too, that, you know, keep pushing, but there's not very many, many of us that they all want to push us aside and and make us look to be, you know, environmental haters and, you know, demon demonizing us that we're going to end the world with fossil fuels. And that's not true.
1: Yeah. I mean, the, the opposite is true, particularly the workers who are doing it is they're making the, we live in the best world that's ever existed. And, and it's, it's the people you know, it's 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 everyone who's producing it that's making it possible, including all the people producing the energy that fuels all the machines that might, makes life so good. So thanks so yeah. much, Sean, for coming on. Uh, thanks for spending part of your 15 minutes of fame. Uh, yeah. with us. And I, I hope we stay in touch. And I hope some of your members find energy dot useful, because if they go to Google, you mentioned Google this but yes. right now, if you Google, you don't get very good information. So no, I, I hope no, no, I did. I did points. look you up, com.
0: Alex, you got quite the array of articles and op eds. And I started reading some of them. And you're a pretty interesting guy.
1: All right, yeah. I'll take it. Thanks so much, Sean.
0: All right. Thank you, Alex. Take care. You too.
1: Thanks again to Sean Steffi for joining me. One thing that I appreciated about Sean's perspective in particular, and I indicated this a little bit on the show, is that he's actually in the thick of this stuff every day. And by the thick of this stuff, I mean energy production and more broadly, industrial production. And I think as a rule, in an advanced society with a huge division of labor, it's very valuable to hear from people who are doing the specific things in an area because it's very easy for us to get uh, detached. So it's easy for us to just not think about, hey, what is actually involved in producing all the amazing material values that we use in our lives? If we ourselves are not involved in in much in the production of material values. That's certainly true of me. Like I'm I'm creating a certain kind of material value like books, but I'm not even manufacturing those. I'm using the values that others have created. I'm trying to add value with my ideas, but I myself am not in a factory or in an oil field. And it's it's very valuable to hear from people who are. And I I really appreciated his perspective. And I think that's one reason why he, he made this point that, oh, he says, well, I'm just an average guy. Uh, but all these smart people seem to be dumb, at least that's my interpretation. And I think a lot of the smart people are just detached from the reality of what is actually involved in producing energy, and more broadly, producing our current standard of, of living. And there's a, there's a parallel here, because this is definitely true environmentally, where all of us live in a state of unbelievable environmental mastery. That today's productive ability makes possible. So we are just totally disconnected from a truly natural environment, where we, you know, where we have to like go find food, and where we actually have to deal with the weather without just enormous climate protection infrastructure that we have today. And it's, I, it's the reason why I like reading history and I like learning about life in what I call unempowered uh, countries. So. Maybe in the future, I'll find more guests who can give us more of this firsthand perspective. In fact, I have one that I'm talking to now about coming on the show, and he's uh, a new up-and-coming energy advocate who is based in India, and I'm really interested in getting his perspective because he's really lived what poverty in general and energy poverty in particular are like. So if you have any suggestions for guests who have a lot of valuable real-world experience that they can share with us, uh, definitely let me know at at alex.alexepstein.com, which brings me to my usual refrain. If you have any questions, comments, love mail or hate mail, email me at at alex.alexepstein.com. We have an election coming up. I'm not going to make any kind of general endorsements or pronouncements, I'll just say, I believe in looking at the full context. What I've tried to give you on this show is the full context with regard to energy. I understand there are different people who are gonna weigh that in different ways and there are other considerations. Uh, But no matter what, I think it's really important to just understand what we face energy wise going forward, uh, that there are real dangers, uh, huge dangers going certain directions in terms of energy and what that means for our standard of living and also real opportunities in terms of what can be achieved in the future if we have energy freedom. As I've talked about a lot recently, the site energytalkingpoints.com has a lot of resources on this. Highly recommend continue to use it, continue to visit it uh, because it's gonna I'm going to continue to update it. I think it may be actually quite a bit more widely used as we go into next year. Uh, both because people will be more familiar with it, but also because there are going to be a lot more specific policy debates surrounding energy, not just campaigning where people are talking about whatever's hot at the moment, but there will be these energy and environmental issues and it'll be great for as many of us as possible to be armed. Uh, I myself have, uh, I've had the experience of just relying on energytalkingpoints.com myself. I had this post the other day on LinkedIn uh, because Biden had this ridiculous statement about like literally the earth is going to bake. That's not hyperbole, it's going to bake, like it's going to be a crisp or something. And I challenged this and I said, this is fake. And LinkedIn flagged that, I guess, because they thought, oh, I'm saying climate change in general is fake. No, I was saying it's fake that the earth is going to bake, like he said, is literally true. And I linked to a Twitter post that had some energy talking points, but I didn't include it in the LinkedIn post. So they flagged it. They removed my post Uh, But then I just went on energytalkingpoints.com and copied and pasted uh, a lot of the climate talking points that totally proved my case. And I just posted them on a new LinkedIn one showing the removed post. And so far that hasn't been brought down and it's been viewed by a lot of people. So just one example of how energytalkingpoints.com can just allow you to make the case for something very, very quickly. So make sure to check that out. Keep sharing that as we head into this election and then uh, after the election. Let's see, anything else? Well, I'm wearing this I Love Fossil Fuels shirt. If you want one, you can get one at ilovefossilfuels.com. I was wearing it because I was uh, giving a virtual presentation today and I felt like, ah, let's try wearing this shirt. I haven't worn it in a while, but yeah, you can get yours at I love Also, if I'm doing a lot of virtual presentations, fortunately they're a lot faster to do in terms of logistics than regular ones. So I'm, I almost always have slots open. So if you have anything in the next couple months or even beyond just email me at alex at alexepstein.com and maybe there is something we can work out. Finally, as always, make sure to get on my mailing list, alexepsteinlist.com is the easiest way to get there. All right, this has been a long uh, election season. It has not been as focused on energy as I had hoped it would be, but energytalkingpoints.com, I know have gotten out to a lot of politicians. They've been very well received and I expect them to have more impact in the future. So thanks for checking those out and continue to keep spreading them. Also, if you wanna keep supporting Energy Talking Points, as well as many other of our projects at the Center for Industrial Progress, become an accelerator Go to industrialprogress.com slash accelerate. All right, that is it for this week. I'll be back next week with another great guest. Until then, I'm Alex Epstein. This has been Power Hour.
0: Power Hour. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of energy. Power Hour. The antidote to shallow thinking about energy issues.